God has spoken. That's an excellent segue as we go into the written, revealed Word of God. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And I'm actually going to read the entire chapter, but our focus will specifically be 12 through 16. God has spoken through his written revelation by the hand of his servant, the Apostle Paul, in writing these words, beginning at Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us, for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things 
unto himself. God has spoken. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful that you have revealed your glory in creation. You have revealed your nature and your attributes in your written word. And most importantly, you have revealed yourself in Christ. And it is him that we worship. It is him that we cling to. It is him by faith we embrace and know eternal life. So as we come together as believers, redeemed by him, by Jesus, and as we do so, knowing that we are running a race, I ask that you would help our hearts to be singularly focused on running towards Christ, and that we would do so together with joy and with the hope that one day our faith will be made sight. Thank you for this time. We pray that your name would be exalted above all and that your saints would be encouraged. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, made in the 1980s. There is a, a the main tune from the film is one that was used in a skit a couple years ago at a family uh, cookout that we did here at the church. But the story is really following the storyline of the, the men who were running in the 1924 Olympics. One of the characters in that movie, his name was Eric Little. Eric Little was a Scotsman. He was, he was a very fast runner. In fact, some of them referred to him as the Flying Scotsman. And he was known for his very unique way of running. They described it as a windmill. And it was just the way that he would fling his arms as he was running. But you can't deny the results. He was a very, very fast runner. One of the things that the movie highlights about Eric Little, though, was the fact that he was an outspoken Christian. And one of the themes in the movie that they kind of focus in on is the fact that there were times when his personal beliefs and his personal faith as a Christian conflicted with some of the responsibilities that he had as a runner representing his country. He believed very strongly that Sunday was the Lord's day. And he was going to honor the Lord on that day, and he believed that it was vitally important that his people honored him and focused on him specifically on the Lord's day. But that belief came to the test when, as he was going to the 1924 Olympics, he was told that one of the heats he would be running was going to be run on a Sunday. And he was torn. Because obviously he wants to represent his country well. He wants to run well. He wants to give his country something to cheer for and to be excited about. But at the same time, he didn't want to violate his personal Christian values and things that were important to him. And so after prayer and thinking about it very carefully, he came to the conclusion that he could not run that race on the Sunday. And he knew that there would be backlash. He knew that the media would see it. He knew that he was essentially forfeiting a chance he had to win a gold medal, a chance to get another gold medal for his country. But his belief in following after Christ and his personal convictions that he had set in place made it so that he had to choose Christ over something that he also loved, which was running. So he didn't. 
He didn't run that race that Sunday in 1924. But the next time he did run, later, a day or two later, as he was warming up, stretching, and getting ready, there was a note that was given to him. And in that note, somebody, he doesn't know who, had written to him, encouraging him and saying, you were doing the right thing. That it says in in the good book, the Lord will honor those who honor him. And he was encouraged by that. And in that race, and with that encouragement from the person he didn't know, he ran and won that race. Eric Little kind of embodies what we are doing as Christians. We're running a race. Every single one of us in this room is running a race. And that, the reality is, is it doesn't matter if you are a Christian or not. If you're in this room, you are running a race. The question is, what is your prize you're running for? For Paul, the prize was obvious. Anytime you read any of his letters, you know the prize is always going to be Christ. That is his goal. For him to die would be gain because he would see Christ. For him to live would be Christ. Everything was about Jesus Christ. And as he writes to this church in Philippi, comprised of people who were both citizens of Rome but as well as were ethnic Jews, he was telling them, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your nationality, you as a Christian are running a race. And you have one singular focus you should have in mind, and that is winning the prize. And the exhortation Paul gives to the church in Philippi is the same thing the Lord gives to us today, that we too are running a race. And the question is, what is the prize we're running for? And are we doing so with a singular focus to run towards Christ? The verses that we're focusing in on, verses 12 through 16, and because we are called to run the Christian race, there's two aspects that Paul brings out for us in this race and that I want to share with you this morning. The first one is that the race we are running is a personal race. We are running individually. You as a Christian are running your race. As much as it would be nice for some of us as parents to say, I'd like to run my race for my kids. You can't. As much as your parents wish they could say about you, I'd like to run the Christian race for you. They can't. As much as Job loved his children and made sacrifices on behalf of his children because he believed perhaps there was sin in their heart, he couldn't run the race for his children. Each of us are running the race ourselves. It's a personal race, which involves personal growth. Notice with me in verse 12. Here's what Paul says. Not as though I had already attained. Had attained what? (laughs) What is he talking about? Not as though I had already achieved, obtained something. What is he talking about? Well, in the previous verses, he was warning about these people who were trying to seduce the Christians into following after false ideologies, false philosophies, some of whom were Jews who rejected Christ. And there were others who were trying to subvert Jewish ideas into the plan of salvation. Because there are some who, as he says in verse 3, were of the circumcision, referring to the Jews, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, but they were adding something. They were adding confidence in the flesh. That's 
kind of Paul's special language of saying they were adding stuff. There was something they were adding to the gospel. Some of them were saying, you have to be circumcised in order for you to be saved. Some of them were saying, you have to follow the dietary laws found in the Old Testament law. Some of them were suggesting that, yes, it is indeed by faith in Christ that you are saved, but you also must have good works to be saved. And Paul says, those things are adding to the gospel. When in the 16th century, the Protestant Reformation happened, these were the exact same things they were essentially arguing against. There were people in the Roman Catholic Church who were saying, there are things you must do. It's faith plus something else. And men like Martin Luther and John Calvin, Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli were saying, no, it's not. Have you read the Apostle Paul? He says it plainly over and over again. The things that we're fighting right now in the 16th century were the same things that 1,600 years before that Paul was fighting with the Jewish people. And Paul says, look, if I could have confidence in the flesh, I would be the first person to tell you I am like the model person who could get saved by being a Jew. I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm the tribe of Benjamin. I'm literally a Hebrew of Hebrews. That, that's essentially a, a Paul way of saying I was the best Hebrew there possibly could be. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee. I, the Pharisees were the conservative religious sect. Concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church because I thought they were wrong. Touching the righteousness which is in the law from a human standpoint, I was virtually blameless, he says. And yet, all of those things that he could have said to the, to the Christians, as a Jew, I count all these things as gain. I can do all of these things to earn my salvation. Paul says, all of those things were nothing but lost to me. Because when I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, something changed. There was something different. No longer were all those things I just listed important to me anymore. Because I realized they weren't going to do anything to earn me salvation with God. Nothing I was doing, regardless of how I believed my intentions were right and good, and no matter how righteous I believed I was, all of those things were really putting me in the negative. I wasn't gaining any merit before God. My ledger was only getting more and more read. So when I found Christ, he says, I lost all those things that some people think are gain and are trying to teach you are gain. The thing that I love and embrace is Christ and him alone. In his verse 8, he ends up saying, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Not the knowledge of the law, not the knowledge of being circumcised, not the knowledge of being one of the Hebrew of the Hebrews. All of those things were nothing. The only thing I clung to was Jesus. When you placed your faith in Jesus, that's what you did too. You said, I forsake all. There's nothing I can do to earn God's favor. I simply cling to the cross. And that's something Paul taught the church in Philippi. So when he comes down to verse 12 and says, not as though I have already attained, he's pretty much, in a sense, for, for sake of his argument, boasted in the previous verses. He's saying, look, I'm practically perfect. And then he says, but actually, when I understand Jesus, no, I'm not. I'm not even close. So when he comes around, he says, guys, just so you know, I have not attained. 
I have not attained perfection. I am not somebody who is a perfect Christian. I have personal growth that I have to experience. I'm, neither am I already perfect. We call this process of becoming more like Jesus progressive sanctification. There's some people who believe that you can live this perfect life of sanctification, but Paul seems to indicate here that there's something else that he has to do to grow, and that is continue to embrace and love Christ and forget those things that he had clung to before. And that's what happens to us. We're growing step by step by step. I don't know about you, but I like to be perfect. The problem is I can never be perfect. And it's frustrating when I fall into sin, when I mess up, and I realize that I can't be perfect. It's like I, I get this frustration because I want to get to this point where I wish I'm, I'm at perfection and I can't be there. Do you feel that too? Am I the only one? Because I feel that way. But here is one of the men that we would probably say was one of the most godly, ardent followers of Jesus, saying, I haven't made it. I fall. I am not perfect. I have not obtained the prize yet. I have not obtained perfection. I am steadily and continuing to grow. And I'm looking forward to that future growth where I continue to be perfected and grow and change. Is that you? Is that you? Do you want that same growth and change? So there's a personal growth as we run this race. We're running the race not just to get to heaven. It's not like we're just trying to tread water, as it were, waiting until the day we take our final breath and finally open our eyes in heaven and we say, oh, I'm glad I finally made it. No, we're running and we're expecting to grow. As Christians, that should be our, our focus, seeking to grow in Christ. He also has a personal focus because he says, I'm forgetting those things which are in the past. What were those things? Well, of course, they would probably be the sins that he had committed. They would probably also be the things he believed at one point were gained to him, like being circumcised, being a Benjamin uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, being a Pharisee, persecuting the church, forgetting all of that. I'm a new man. I cannot continue to recall all of those things that are in the past. I must forget the past. And instead, in verse 12, he says, or excuse me, in verse 13, he says, I reach forward. You probably have baggage in your past. As a person, as a human being, we all have some level of baggage in our past. And like Paul, we are called to forget that. Unfortunately, sometimes it can be easy for us to focus on those things that happened that we can't change. There's things that I have said and things that I have done I can't go back and change. There's things you've thought and things you have said and done you can't go back and change. But you can focus on the future growth that God is giving you. You can forget the past and you can reach forward to the prize. There's things that you may have done that you thought were right and good, but then in the end, as a, after you got saved, you realized they weren't. Forget the things in the past, reaching forward to the things that are before. We cannot live in the past. We must continue to press on towards the prize. And that is the third 
idea here is not only that we are running personally in our growth and in our focus, reaching forward and not looking back, but ultimately we have a personal prize we're looking forward to because he says he's reaching forth into those things which are before. I press towards the mark of the prize of whom? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The high calling of God when Jesus comes back. There were Christians in the first century who believed Jesus was coming back in their lifetime 2,000 years ago. And when they read this, these words here from Paul, they're thinking, I cannot wait to see the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I can't wait. They, so they continued on clinging to Christ, hoping for that day. And that generation, one by one, died. And there was a next generation who were past the baton in the race, the baton of these truths from Scripture. And they were saying, the upward call of God is coming. Jesus is coming back. We will be with him again. And one by one, each person in that generation passed away. And so it's been for the last 2,000 years to our generation now. Is your focus the same as those passionate, excited Christians 2,000 years ago who said, I cannot wait for the upward call of God. Is that your focus? Are you focused on the personal prize that you will have, which is knowing Christ Jesus? Or are we focused on the here and now too much? Am I clinging too much to the possessions that I have? Am I clinging too much to the relationships that I want? Am I clinging too much to the job that I have and hoping that I'll get that raise? Am I clinging too much to anything that would take my eyes off of the personal prize, Jesus himself? We're running this race personally. This is something we are doing individually. And I can't run your race for you. You can't run your race for me. We each have to run our race. And the question is, by the power of God, are you going to run your race faithfully? Because you have personal growth in your life you have to experience as you go through this life. You have a personal focus, forgetting the things that happened in the past, focusing on to the prize ahead of you, the personal prize, which is Christ Jesus, your Lord. Is that your focus? Because you're running a personal race, regardless of whether or not you want to. Because there may be some in this room who are running a race, but their prize, unfortunately, is not Jesus. Their prize is their job. Their prize is personal relationships. Their prize are their possessions. And they don't want Jesus. The reality is if that is your prize, then your ultimate end when you take your final breath will be to see God, not as your prize that you have treasured and longed for in this life, but as your judge. Will you be like Paul and say, I will forget, I will forget everything, I'll forsake everything, I will simply cling to Jesus. Save me from my sins. The one who died on the cross for my sins, I will cling to him. That's what you must do. And then, day by day, moment by moment, continue to be changed from one degree of glory to the next as you run your race personally. But we're also called to run the race together. And this is the part I think that sometimes some Christians forget. There's somebody that I know in my extended family who says they've trusted Christ, but believe that they don't have to go to church 
or go and see and be with other Christians. So essentially living almost like a hermit lifestyle. Is that what we as Christians are called to do? Are we called to essentially be the Lone Ranger Christian in life? According to Paul, no. Because in verses 12 through 14, he says, you have a personal race you're running, for sure. And you're responsible for that race. But in verse 15, what does he say? Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. This isn't just about you or me. It's about us. Because while we are running individual races and each of us is responsible to run our race faithfully, nevertheless, we're not called to do it alone. We're called to do it together. One of the reasons why I love the sport of hockey is if you watch any interviews with hockey players, they're always saying we or us. We as a team, boy, we have to get on the, on the forecheck. We have to go in and chase the puck down in the corners. I think we did a good job of cycling the puck around. I think we did a good job of defending our net, making sure that our goalie could see the puck when the opposing team was shooting the puck so that he had a better chance of stopping it. They're always saying we, and why is that? Because like any team sport, it's not about one person. The success of the team cannot rest on one person. It has got to rest on the whole group working together. Now, is, you know, if, if, if you know anything about hockey, is the defenseman supposed to be in the right spot when he's defending? Of course he is. He can't be expecting his other defenseman to do that job. He's got to be in his spot. Or in football, when you have the line, linemen and they're all, they're all there trying to block and protect the quarterback, is, is he expecting his buddy to block the guy in front of him? Unless it's part of the play. No, he's supposed to do his job. They're working together as a team. Now, that doesn't eliminate his personal responsibility, but ultimately we're working together as a team to win the prize. That's what Paul is saying. As Christians, we are not called to run our race alone. Anybody who thinks that they can run the Christian race without being a part of the assembly of the saints has severely misunderstood the entire Holy Scriptures. All of the Bible is not only a call for us to personally respond to Jesus in faith. All of the Bible isn't just a call for us to run our Christian race faithfully. It is also for us to run the race together. Which is why it's important for us each Sunday on the Lord's Day to gather together. To remember our Lord together. To encourage each other together. To equip each other for the saints together. This is all something that God has ordained for us. So Paul says, look, I, I am running my race, you're running your race, but let us, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Let's all have this focus of running our race faithfully, clinging to Christ step by step. Which really, the mindset has got to be one of humility. He says in verse 15, let as many as be perfect. As he... He's just said in other letters, you know, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. We are not perfect. So what does he mean, as many of us be perfect? In the King James, that's a little, um, little hard for us to grasp. If you have a newer translation, it should say something to the effect of as many of us as are mature. As many of us as are mature. Let us have this mindset. 
We have to have a spiritual maturity about us. We cannot be infants in our spiritual walk. We must be growing moment by moment. And that's something that will happen. I guarantee it will happen as you continue to run your personal race faithfully in verses 12 through 14. You will then have a spiritual maturity about you as you grow step by step, yielding yourself to the Lord and recognizing that God has spoken and has revealed to us exactly how we ought to live as we wait for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we must have a spiritual maturity. How are you evidencing that to your children, parents? I'll be honest with you. This past week, one of the days, I was having a rough day. And um, I, I was working in my yard, and Benjamin was having a grand old time, and he found this, uh, like, five, not a five-gallon, maybe more like a three-gallon, like, stainless steel pot, flipped it upside down, found two sticks, comes right to where I'm working and just starts drumming as happily as he possibly can and as loud as he possibly can right there. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, I just, on the inside, on the outside, I was just kind of focusing on my work. On the inside, I was like, really, do you have to drum right here? This is not the moment. This is not the day. And I was struggling. I was struggling in my response to my own son, who was doing nothing wrong. He's drumming away happily. He, and, and after he was drumming, he said, Daddy, did you like that? <laughs> and I was honest, and I said, well, it was a little loud. That's what I said. I didn't say I didn't like it, but it was a little loud. My reactions to him are going to have an impact on his life. Parents, do you know that that's going to be true of your kids too? Your reactions to them tell them what your view of Jesus is. Your reactions to other people that they watch tell them what your view of Jesus is. We are called to have a spiritual maturity, and unfortunately, sometimes I have the spiritual maturity of a five-year-old. That's not something my four-year-old should see. He should see someone who, if he fails, admits that, and in spiritual maturity and growth continues to cling to the cross moment by moment. Your children should see that too. Your grandchildren should see that. Teens, your younger siblings should see that in you. None of us are perfect. Paul says, I haven't obtained. and You haven't either. But the call to spiritual maturity is nonetheless a real call for all of us. So the humble mindset that we should have should include a humble maturity. But it should also have a, a spiritual humility. Because in verse 15, he says, And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall, have, God shall reveal even this unto you. That you are being sensitive to the working of God and saying, Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm clinging to Christ, but I will do so imperfectly. And I want to grow step by step. That's a mindset of humility. That's something Paul had just said only the chapter before. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How can we expect to have any less of a humble mindset 
than our Lord. We can't. We must have that same humility. But we also should have a spiritual sensitivity because notice at the end of verse 15, he says, God shall reveal even this unto you. If you are not looking for the ways in which God is teaching you something, when you are not being sensitive to the ways in which you have violated his word or ways in which you are not displaying properly the same mindset of humility and proper conduct as a Christian that sh- a Christian should, and you don't feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit on your heart, you don't see the exhortations written in the word, there's something wrong. We should have a sensitivity to God's working in our lives, shouldn't we? The moment you open the word of God, your focus should not be, oh boy, I sure hope I can get one chapter in. That's my goal. Because good Christians, that's what they do. They read one chapter every day. Your sensitivity should be God has spoken and I will listen. What do you want me to see about you today? What do you want me to see about me today? One of the things that R.C. Sproul would always say when people asked him the question, what is the greatest weakness in the church today? He would always say, the greatest weakness in the church today is that we don't know who God is and we don't know who we are. And I think that's true. But somebody who has a spiritual sensitivity, who wants to know how he should have the mindset of Christ, will humbly look to the revealed word of God and say, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Show me who you are. Show me how I can grow moment by moment, day by day. And that is the mindset of spiritual maturity, the humble mindset we as Christians should have. What will be the result? Verse 16, there will be a humble unity. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Unity, together. If we're running the race together, we must do so with the same mindset. We're running the same race. We're, we're looking for the same prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Why can't we do so together? The problems in the early church are no different than the problems today. Every church is not going to run in unity perfectly together, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And that doesn't mean when there are bumps along the way that we don't work out those bumps and that we do everything we can to have that same rule, to walk by the same rule, to mind the same thing. That should be our focus as Christians, as a church. Whether the church is in China, whether the church is in Australia, whether the church is in Great Britain, whether the church is in Finley, Ohio, it doesn't matter. We are called by our Lord to have a humble unity, walking by the same rule together. So really, my main point today is that exhortation. As a church, as the people of God, let us together run toward Christ in humble unity. Because that is what he calls us to do, first of all. And when our Savior calls us, we must respond in obedience. But also, I believe there is immeasurable blessing that is tied to that. God has promised to exalt those who are humble. I'll leave you with this. In verse 9 of chapter 2, after describing the mindset of humility, Paul says, Wherefore, about Jesus, 
God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have a proper view of who God is. And then verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Have a proper view of God and have a proper view of yourself. Run your race personally with faithfulness and then together let us run our race till our Savior comes. Let's pray. We long, Lord, to run a race that accurately reflects the salvation we have received in Christ. But we know that we are not perfect. We have not already attained. So I pray that you would forgive us where we have failed, that you would help us to have the mindset of humility, knowing that ultimately there is great joy in following the commands of our Lord, and that in so doing, we demonstrate to the world the fact that we are a redeemed people longing for the day when we will see and know and enjoy the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I pray for any person in this room who is currently running the race that will ultimately lead to death because they have not acknowledged their sin before you, a holy God, and they have not repented and turned to Christ. I pray that in mercy and kindness, your spirit would work in their heart and that they would respond in faith, clinging to Christ and running the new race towards him. As your children, as redeemed saints together, please help us, Lord, to be faithful. Please empower us by your spirit to run faithfully, individually, seeking to have a singular focus on Christ And together as a church, will you help us to have the mindset of humility that we would run together in unity and joy until the day we see your face. For we pray all of this in the name of our Redeemer and Savior, Jesus. Amen.